Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Uh, Bud, going to have a primarily recruiting talk uh, here, catch up on all the things that we've uh, discussed previously and kind of uh, try to provide people a little bit of an idea as to what to expect in both the final part of the 2019 class and then also as the coaching staff begins to make the transition to the uh, 2020 endeavors of trying to put that recruiting class together. Also have a couple of program notes just what's going on uh, with particular players and uh, what academic schedules necessarily mean for their future but uh, as always want to thank Louisiana Hot Sauce for providing the opportunity for us to put these podcasts together. This may not be the the perfect uh, audio integrity as, as I'm in a place that's not uh, perfect to record podcasts, but we'll do our best to put out as good a product as possible as our friends do in New Iberia, and uh, we can only hope to be quite as successful as they are. No doubt, man. So happy to be back. I was at the uh, Under Armour All-American game and then at the Army All-American Bowl and then the Combine and then the Coaching Convention. And uh, now I am here. So I maybe took a day or two longer to get this get this out than we wanted to. We are talking on Wednesday morning. So I think this will probably be out on Thursday uh, due to the, the editing schedule here. But uh, yeah, happy to be back, man. You know, good to be at the convention. And I talked to so many different coaches for, for my job, you know, as as our recruiting guy for SB Nation. And uh, it's just, you know, it's always important to, to actually say what's up in person. But Florida State's coaches were not there. Uh, and I, you know, I asked several of them what's uh, what's up, and uh, they're like, Willie has us working hard on the uh, 2020 class and making sure we're ready to strike that thing and uh, doing that kind of deal. So I didn't see any uh, FSU coaches there. Now, Willie was in to watch his son at the, uh, the National Combine, Willie Taggart Jr., quarterback out of Tallahassee. But yeah, that's where I've been. You want to start team? You want to start uh, recruiting? What, what do you want to start with? We'll go team and then transfer kind of fully into recruiting. Uh, the biggest... News on the team front, seemingly, has been the idea that uh, DeAndre Francois is uh, scheduled classes. So I've, I'm not taking shots at anybody, but I, I'm not sure that I've ever seen that be, you know, the the news story that it was to such an extent. And uh, some of the uh, conclusions that were drawn by that little piece of information. So why don't we start there and hash that out as to what that exactly means? So okay, here's a question for you. Why was it news in the first place? I, I, I think that'll lead us to our answer here. It's news because pretty much everybody who covers this program and a lot of people inside the program didn't expect him to be back in 2019. So the fact that he's enrolled in classes to me suggests that it's newsworthy because they're like, wait, could he actually come back? I guess there's some chance that he could be back. I don't expect him to be Florida State starting quarterback for the 2019 season. The interesting thing here to me, Ingram, is that Francois was posting pictures, I think on Instagram or, or, or Twitter, or, or I forget which, but but on social media uh, of, of him in, in, in his cap and gown. Now, it is possible to walk if you have not actually graduated. I don't know if he is actually like, like you know, graduated and got his degree on paper. I mean, so, sometimes, you know, you walk and then you end up being a, a credit or two or, or whatever short. That does happen. It happened to a couple of my fraternity brothers, I believe, <laughs> back, at, back, back in the day. Yeah, I don't know if he's officially graduated. He could also be in grad school classes. I, I don't have access to that information. Obviously, it's can't really just go go look at that on the school website. I do know that SEC schools, one in particular, has real interest uh, in in Francois. In fact, you know, I was asked about that. They're like, hey, what's going on with DeAndre? And so I said, I, I, I don't really think he's going to be the starter in 2019. But yeah, it, it, because I think everybody... It covers FSU did not expect him to be back next year. Him being enrolled in classes is at least, you know, newsworthy. And the final thing I'll say on this before I get your take on it, you know, maybe Kendall Bryles coming in, maybe he wants a chance to look at him in spring to to evaluate him and work with him in person. While the offense is almost exactly the same as the one Florida State was running, like we've said, you know, it's not really different. Sometimes players do get looked at differently by by you know new coaches, right? And we, we saw that saw this last year, right? Tamari and Terry comes in. Willie Taggart loves him. You know he couldn't find a way to get on the field under Jimbo Fisher. Stuff like that. Maybe Kendall Browse takes a look at at Francois and says, "Hey, I, I want to look at this guy in person. Maybe I'll find a, a different way to use him, or or maybe he'll be more comfortable a full year removed from the knee surgery. Who knows? But that's that's kind of where we stand there." With, uh, with Francois. I've stated my opinion that I don't think uh, Francois will be back uh, for quite a quite a time now, and I will uh, 
continue to uh, operate under that assumption. We'll see what happens. I don't personally think... I, I think the point you just made is a valid one and legitimate. I don't know that necessarily a... Uh, and change in, in offense coordinator, offensive play caller is going to change some of the other dynamics that exist in that situation. So if I'm uh, playing poker right now, I'm, I'm pushing everything into the middle of the table, fully expecting that DeAndre Francois probably plays college football somewhere else next year. Or maybe uh, maybe he could play in the NFL or uh, the new American Alliance uh, football. You had all eight teams there in San Antonio. Uh, doing their training camps, and uh, that'll be interesting to watch. I know, uh, I think Ryan Green posted something on, on his uh, Instagram that he was uh, at the Tampa camp, so that's pretty cool for him. Good. Very good. Great for Ryan Green. So, uh, next item of business here, I don't think we ever said he was coming, so I'm happy about that, but Justin Fields did decide on Ohio State, which, look, I can't blame him. I wouldn't go to Florida State if I was him right now, given the offensive line. Ohio State's in a much better position to actually protect a quarterback so Justin goes to Ohio State and uh you know I was just thinking back to when when you had reported that there was that video floating around that, that an opposing staff had apparently or maybe an opposing fan had put together showing all, all the hits uh, Francois was taking you know in in 16 I kind of doubt that that Fields forgot about that or the fact that there could have been a updated version uh sure. over the past two years as well so yeah yeah so the, the, the remix the, man the remix could have been very much there. Last year's remix might have even been, uh, I don't know that you had quite as many kill shots, but just the hilarious amount of times that half a second into the play, you had one or two defenders running loose after your quarterback. Those issues would not have waned, and, and if that was a concern for him as a high schooler, I, I think it still would have been present as a as a college kid looking to, uh, to find a place where he can make an immediate impact and display the skills that uh, he was otherwise not able to able to do so in Athens. No doubt. So going to uh, – and look, I, I think Florida State will still try to pursue a grad transfer quarterback. Uh, obviously, they, they took Jordan Travis, but he is a regular transfer, not a grad transfer. Jalen Hurts could be out there. Now, the rumor around, uh, around Army Week was that Hurts was going to look uh, at Oklahoma uh, in, in an effort to kind of – you know, be able to throw the ball around a ton. They're obviously losing Kyler Murray and and work on his draft stock. So I don't see Jalen Hurts as an NFL quarterback. If he does see himself as an NFL quarterback, then going somewhere that chucks the ball around as much as Oklahoma, you know, might make some sense there. I, I think he'd be a great fit as a college quarterback in Florida State's offense, certainly. So we'll have to see if he does decide to leave Alabama. Um, and, and if so, where he goes. Just something to monitor all right, bud. Uh, I think that probably bring us up to date as far as the the roster itself, uh, as far as the player composition. Why don't we spend a couple minutes here just talking about some of the more recent coaching news, things that we know for sure, things that we think we know, and uh, a couple pieces that are still kind of up in the air at this point. Sure. Uh, so the first bit of news is that Alonzo uh, Hampton is uh, is out as special teams coach. This is not surprising. I think we thought this was going to happen for quite some time. Now, look, we had some questions about, you know, Hampton when, when Taggart hired him. We also pretty clearly saw what the vision was with the hire, right? You wanted the guy who had connections in Georgia and Arkansas and Louisiana and Mississippi to be able to, you know, to get some of those kids in the deep South on the recruiting trail. And he would coach special teams and, you know, have a, a, an, an impact in the defensive backfield as well. There's an alternate reality in, in which that works out fine. Florida State has a good year. They're able to actually sign some of the kids from the Deep South that, that, that they got on campus. We know that Hampton made some good connections with those guys. But with the year they had, you are not going to pull elite kids from, from SEC country. So you take that. So you, you did not really get positive value there, largely because of the year you had. In addition, you know, PR and image management does matter. While we know... And I think listeners of this show know that like Hampton is not solely responsible for the special teams. It's just really a title. Nobody coaches only special teams. And the special teams are coached by many different people on the staff. There's not some guy who spends 30 hours you know, a, a day in his office thinking about fake punts. It's just not how the ball works. Now, at the same time, if you have special teams that are as bad as Florida State's was, or were rather, you got to make a change there, I think. Especially if it's not due to crazy injury or attrition, right? Like you could say, hey, Florida State's offensive line was much worse than its special teams. 
Why aren't you making a big time change there? Well, we kind of know why that group was was why it was, and that was injury and attrition. So I, I think you have, you have to make a change. It, it didn't work out. I don't think it's a big loss. Uh, I think Florida State has a chance to make an upgrade at the spot. Uh, but do keep in mind, look, special teams coordinators are not solely responsible for the special teams. It, that's just really not how it works. And anybody you hire to coach special teams is also largely going to be coaching another position during most of your periods in practice. So Hampton is out. I just thought it was interesting, like, like we should look back on what we thought at the time of that guy's hire and say, okay, was this always just just totally a nonsensical hire? Was there a reason for it? Why or why why did it not work out? There were some eyebrows raised uh, immediately with that hire in particular. And uh, like you said, there, there certainly was train of thought behind it. And uh, a lot of the things that didn't happen, I'm not sure if he had a, a direct uh, control over. But in this business, or in many businesses, sometimes you're a victim of that of which uh, is not totally your your own doings. And uh, hopefully Hampton will find a place to uh, to land and will continue to have success in the coaching industry. It just won't be at uh, Florida State. So Alonzo Hampton, we talked about uh, one guy that maybe I vaguely referenced as we transitioned is the name Randy Clements, uh, something that uh, or someone that is widely thought to potentially be joining Florida State staff. Uh, however, at the time, he is still uh, officially employed by uh, University of Houston. Right. So uh, what's happening here? Anger, you work in business. If a whole staff got fired except for one guy and he's still listed on a website as being employed. And everybody on the outside does not expect this guy to continue to be employed by that school. What do you think is going on there? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. I mean, I certainly think there's issues of buyout surrounding uh, Clements and and how that's going to proceed. And I know from Florida State's perspective, they may be trying to play a waiting game so that they don't have to engage in uh, compensation tied to a buyout. I also think that... uh, you know, Florida State has to be uh, money wise, certainly, and and has to uh, be cognizant of uh, of what the collective checking account looks like, so to say. But uh, I, I think to a point, you can kind of nickel and dime yourself uh, to your own, you know, your own worst giving. So if that's the case, I would I would almost rather see Florida State make make the move, bring the staff whole, and uh, and move forward. But I you know certainly understand the financial repercussions and the the financial focus that is being placed in the uh, the Moore building right now. I, I think you're dead on there, man. Dead on. So they fired that whole staff when, when Major Applewhite got, got the pink slip, except for Randy Clements. Why? Because he's got another year on his deal and, he, and he's owed a buyout. I think they're just in a game of chicken here. Now, it's a game of chicken that I, I think Houston will probably win for this reason, right? Florida State would like to have Clements on staff. I assume, obviously, Florida State can't tell me this, you know, officially, but you'd like to have him on staff probably what a week before these guys take their official visits, which is going to come up on, on the twenty fifth, and most likely you'd like to have him before, to be honest, so that he, he can, you know, he can be calling them more and, and establishing more of that relationship. Although Greg Fry is already talking to them, you know, and and has already been doing so, so it's not like Florida State does not have an O line coach right now. To make that clear, the thing is, I don't think Houston really needs to have a full coaching staff going in, into their signing period, right? Like, let's say they only had nine guys on their coaching staff, right? And or, excuse me, nine assistants, and they just they let Clements hang on for a while and, and until he decided to quit and go somewhere, and that way they they would not be on the hook for his buyout. I don't think they'd mind that at all. Florida State, meanwhile, has a more specific need as far as recruiting offensive linemen. And so I think his value is greater to Florida State as an employee than it is not. My guess here is that this will be done before, obviously before these kids come on their official visits. It wouldn't totally shock me if this is done on the 11th, which is when the dead period ends and the contact period begins anew. So that's just as far as NCAA rule stuff, when, when you can talk to kids in person, when they can visit campus. Et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I, I I do think there's some intentionality to him still being on Houston's website and still being in, in the employee of Houston when everybody else from recruiting staff, strength conditioning, all the assistants, blah, 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 they all got the ax from Houston except for one dude. That there's there's not a coincidence there to me. 
Certainly. You know, it sounds like that situation will play itself out. You know, the longer that there's not ambiguity in a situation like that, probably the better it is for the organization. So hopefully uh, that'll work itself out one way or another here. The other name that has kind of been mentioned recently is uh, is Wesley McGriff, uh, a guy who's probably best known for his time spent in Oxford, Mississippi. Yeah, Wesley McGriff uh, has been a DC at, at Oxford. He's been with, I think, the Saints uh, and he's also been he's also at Vanderbilt. I know Auburn was was after him for a while. You know, he, he's also been at Miami. I think he was at Auburn for 2016. I'm just trying to remember now. But anyway, uh, Jim Henry of the Tallahassee Democrat uh, reported McGriff was at Florida State on Saturday and visited with a number of players, and that he would uh, be joining the uh, defensive staff. He also reported that uh, a contract had been signed or excuse me, had been hired, uh, but I cannot confirm that. I would know, I think, and I cannot report that there's been any kind of contract signed. And I also don't know exactly, assuming he actually does come on the staff, I do not know what role he's going to have. Could be a defensive backs coach, could be more as an analyst. I think we'll, we'll have to see how that all shakes out. We know McGriff does do a good job in recruiting. I think he would be an upgrade as far as defensive back coaching over what you got from Alonzo Hampton, most likely. Certainly, he has more experience than Hampton does. But I, I'm not ready to say that he's definitely, like as of Wednesday early morning, I'm not ready to say that he's definitely going to be the DB coach. We'll kind of wait and see on that. Maybe maybe it does happen that way. I'm just, I'm not ready to go there just yet. All right, bud, why don't we uh, transition to, uh, to the recruiting phase of this podcast Florida State currently has 17, uh, has rather 19 kids uh, committed, ranked uh, kind of in the high teens currently, 17th, I believe, on the uh, composite. I guess the the most recent information uh, regarding uh, the kids that are actually committed or just the performances that were put on uh, at the uh, All-American Bowls, uh, the various ones. Uh, I know Nick Cross had... Uh, particularly impressive performance, but why don't we just spend a couple minutes uh, breaking down what the play or level of play look like from those kids that are most strongly associated with Florida State. Sure, yeah. So number 17 overall class right now. I thought Nick Cross had an excellent week. Nick Cross is a real interesting, unique prospect. I mean, he's straight line speed is, is really, really impressive with him. Um, uh, as, as we know, he's had some tremendous uh, track times running the 60. He's like 210 pounds. I mean, he's he's a missile man. And I was there. Uh, I, I get field access because NBC is a corporate partner of ours with SB Nation, and uh, and also a you know the, the broadcast partner of the Bull. And and watching him at field level was was really impressive. I was filming a lot of his stuff. Look for more of that on Tomahawk Nation in the coming days. I'll, I'll probably cut up some of those clips and then put them out there. Uh, he laid a big hit on a dude. He was actually playing center field for a lot of that ball game, and I, I thought did a great job, you know, kind of kind of roaming there and playing center field. Showed pretty good recognition skills. Was able to get jumps on balls early. Had several pass breakups. He was beaten one time in in, in the open field. Uh, I, I think Nick is more of a, an excellent straight line athlete than he is necessarily a a side to side guy, which is fine. It's just his ability to you know to show some really nice range there in the secondary when when playing zone. Maybe could struggle a little bit if he has to, you know, to man up really fast slot receivers. But we'll see. We'll see how he's used in this defense. You know, I spoke with Nick after the uh, after one of the practices, and we were chatting, and, and he said, "Yeah, I'm still fully committed to Florida State. I am going to visit. Or excuse me, I, I am going to consider Penn State still and and Maryland. Ma- Maryland did hire his his coach there at Dematha Catholic, uh, Elijah, who's now now at Maryland on their coaching staff. So. I guess he'll give it'll give them a look just to make sure he's making the right decision. You know, when I when I talked to Nick, I I didn't get the impression that he was like looking to flip. I think he was more getting the impression that he was just making sure that that his choice in Florida State was the right choice. He he really likes the coaching staff. He likes Tallahassee. It's pretty well known at this point that Cross's dad, I believe, likes other schools more than Florida State, but that Nick likes Florida State and. If I had to make a pick, I, I think they will they will hold on uh, to Nick Cross. He's he's still very actively recruiting for the Seminoles on uh, on social media, and and yeah, he, he had a, he had a good week. Seem to be uh seem to be fighting a little bit of a losing battle for the dads this year, but uh, hopefully, you know, like with the uh, 
situation with Kalen Deloach. Hopefully that ultimately is uh, not uh, something that it keeps a kid from making the decision he wants. So I applaud Mr. Deloach for uh, for having his own opinion and, and letting the son make his. Parental figures tend to sometimes, uh, you know, be on your side or not. And uh, in this cycle, it seems that Florida State has uh, run up one or two dads that have otherwise uh, had different ideas for their sons. And maybe the ones who wanted the institution uh, didn't work out there. That was a vague reference to Justin Fields. But uh, anyway, I'll stop rambling and we can uh, jump back into the uh, all-star game conversation. So, uh, Quayshawn Fuller, I thought, had a, had a pretty good week. Uh, showed some good quickness off the edge at, at, at 270 pounds. You know, eventually I think he grows into a defensive tackle, but it's possible that, that you know, he, he stays – more trim and, and plays sort of like, like a jumbo end role. You know, chatted with Quayshawn a lot and, and saw him at the combine as well. He was hanging out there on the field. I've known him for quite a while because he lives in the same town that I do. Quayshawn, I believe, is going to take a visit to Florida still. Uh, I know he still posts some Auburn stuff on his Instagram, uh, but but ultimately I, I do expect him to be in Tallahassee. I think him coming up uh, to tally for an, an unofficial visit before the early signing period uh, was was definitely something that uh, that that I took note of, and uh, yeah, I, I expect Florida State to to be able to to keep to keep Quayshon. Dante Lucas is the uh, last kid that hopefully you got a pretty good chance to make another opinion of. I did, yeah. Um, Dante, I, first of all, a shout out to Dante for coming in um, coming in in shape, man. He was, I believe, over three seventy when when he got to IMG. And two four seven sports weighed him in at three hundred and thirty one pounds. That's that's good work. That's like legitimate commitment to being in shape. As an early enrollee, you know he's he's going to come in. He's probably going to lose a little bit more weight. It wouldn't shock me to see him down in that 320, 325 range. Um, now, unfortunately, in the game, he told me that that he kind of pulled his hammy a little bit and, and had to come out of the game. But he had two nice blocks in that ball game early on when I was filming, including one where, where he blocked a guy to the sideline uh, on a stretch play. Dante's got really heavy hands. When he, when he strikes you, you feel it. I think his recognition skills as far as who to block and, 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 and learning and, and his feel for the game will be areas that Florida State will target to have, you know, to have him keep improving because I think he did have a Mr. Simon or two when I was filming. I mean, I'll have to go back and watch, but it did, it did look like, you know, like he missed a couple of assignments. But then again, it's also an all-star game, and you're learning your plays and your new offense pretty quickly. But physically, he looked better than I've really ever seen him. So that was really good to see. As you know, he's early enrolling. He's already signed and uh, and, and still actively recruiting for the Seminoles on, on social media as well. So overall, a, a pretty solid All-American Bowl for Florida State. Less so for Miami. That was uh, a tough day for them, losing Chris Bogle and Tyreek Stevenson to South Florida studs to uh, to out-of-state schools. And Miami now has a ton of work to do in their class, man. They are you seeing where they're ranked? Yeah, yeah, I have, and it's a uh, you got a lot. You got to scroll a while, the, man. <laughs> you do have to spend some time uh, holding the holding the down arrow key. At this point, the class I'd almost write it off if I was Miami and and look to next year. They're not just, doing it though. They need to sign a full class. I yeah. totally agree with you, but they they, they, they can't exactly. They That's numbers. what I would do, but you can't do it. I, I absolutely get it, and they're in a tough situation that uh, is only going to be more of a challenge for them to try to kind of dig themselves out of this hole that they're in. So I can continue to lament the fact that Florida State lost that game. Uh, that is a real problem for me, and uh, the the way that. Just the appearance as to what that loss uh, would have done to Miami's program as far as what it would have looked like from our own point of view. But nonetheless, Miami has tons of challenges right now and, uh, you know, not wishing them good luck as they as they try to address them. Yeah, they uh, that's just so many like spots they got to fill for, for depth purposes. And there's just not that many good players left and certainly not that many good players left who Miami can actually get. So. That's going to be a major challenge for Manny Diaz and, and uh, not the way you want to start your coaching tenure there as a defensive guy. And part of, I believe, the reason why they hired Diaz was was class continuity, right? Because we knew a lot of these defensive players committed like my, like Manny and the defensive staff. And, uh, you know, the offensive staff with, with the nepotism there of Mark Richt and John Richt, his son, uh, being hired to you know, coach quarterbacks uh, didn't sit well with a lot of people. But yeah, that's. Uh, I know that's not our script. I was just thinking about you know who did have a good good Army game, who did not. 
Alabama had a pretty good Army game, by the way. Two more commitments for them. Not a surprise. They uh, continue to roll on. 27 kids in Bama's class now, dude. The only one who's on a four or five star is the kicker. And isn't he the number one player at his position? I have no idea. I do not pay attention to kickers. Oh, bud, you got to get up on the kicker recruiting, man. Man, I get all these emails from kicker parents, and, I'm, and I want to be like, <laughs> all right, he's my new number one kicker recruit. And they're like, oh, sweet. And I just, yeah, I, 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 I can't do it because it could you know, blow up my face. But, man, I I don't know how to evaluate kickers at all. I've never, I've never been around that. I, I just, I, I have no idea. I did find out, by the way, this is kind of cool. So we're, we were having drinks with a couple special teams coaches, and we were talking about like special teams analytics. Do you know how these special teams coaches actually coach kickers and punters? I'm curious as to where you're going with this. No, please. They use like consultants, like like Cole's kicking. And a lot of times it's like video consultants. Like they'll send off video of the practice. Yeah. And then I, uh, I've I, mentioned this, this before I, that it's not, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's not all that different than getting somebody to analyze your golf swing. Right. Uh, and, and that's, there's only so many people that are worth sending those videos to. So it's a small you know, kind of a, a a niche carved out little part of the coaching field. Exactly right. So, yeah, the, I, I don't know if you guys, I think we did talk about it a little bit before, but yeah, which again, people are like, oh my gosh, you know, bad punt, like, like you know, blame the, the special teams co- coordinator. Guys, come on, not not really. Like, like, I guarantee you these dudes who never played kicker or punter are not generally coaching like the finer mechanics of kicking and punting to, to a large extent. A lot of that is done via like kind of, consulting stuff and, and guys who are not actually on staff. So so next, uh, we should probably talk about uh, R.J. Henderson, the four-star receiver out of Houston, Texas. R.J. Henderson you know, sa- says nice stuff about Florida State all week. Other recruits that he speaks with think he's going to Florida State. Now, look, he, he made his fourth commitment already in, in his young recruitment on the night of the third. Now, I think R.J. is a pretty good player. I do not know if he's going to qualify. I think that Oklahoma had real concerns about that, which is why they elected to go in a different direction when, when he was committed to them. He was also previously committed to Willie Taggart when Taggart was at Oregon. Uh, but ultimately, he decides to commit to uh, to Florida there on national TV. Is he going to sign with Florida? I have no idea. He still has three official visits left to take. And one would be Florida, one would be Florida State, and the other, I think he mentioned to me, it was either Penn State or Georgia looking at him. If you take R.J. Henderson, your class rankings look a lot better. I don't know, and I mean, this is for Florida State or Florida. I don't know if he ever actually will see the field. I also don't know, you know, if, if he's trying to... Some of these kids commit on TV simply to um, simply because they want to get on TV, right? And then it's like, oh, all right, cool. You're committed. Awesome. What, you know, why was it? You know, it's always oh, my special connection with the staff. All right. You're still going to take all your official visits after making your fourth, fourth verbal commitment? Of your recruitment? Sure am. Yeah. Yeah. So if I could get odds that, that Henderson would end up making five commitments or like a final decision type thing, I, I would I would bet heavily on yes. So yeah, he pulls the Florida hat. And I think everybody is pretty stunned at this point. I had to leave for the Army Combine and Newberg you know, of 247 called me on the morning at 30. He's like, hey, is RJ still announcing? And I was like, yeah, he told me he was. He's like, all right, cool. I got I got quotes from the kid. About his commitment, I, I already have the commitment story written. You know, talking about you know his relationship with Taggart and and Kelly and all those guys. And and I you know I had already put a crystal ball in for him a while back. I thought because he you know of his remaining choices, Florida State seemed like the most obvious, and, and he obviously had the best connection with them based on just what the kids said. So he he actually told Newberg, yeah, I'm, I'm coming to Florida State, and uh, here's why. And don't run the quotes, obviously, until. The Under Armour, you know, until I do, do it on TV, which is very standard practice, I'd say a large percentage of the time, day of or day before at these all-star events, we know where the kid's going. They give us quotes. With, the story is embargoed until the kid, you know, w- wants to make his decision publicly. And then you run it and kind of, you know, share the backstory. But it's it's bad PR for Florida State to have this happen on national TV. If Florida actually gets RJ into, into school and he stays with Florida, obviously it's not good to lose a player of that caliber. It's just, it's a very weird situation, right? I, I don't know if Florida all of a sudden decided to accept his commitment and it, maybe because they like him, maybe in an effort to try to troll Florida State. If so, very smart by Dan Mullen to, to do that. Florida has more momentum on the trail right now than Florida State does. But just a, 
an interesting story, and I'm I'm not sure that the final chapter has been written there on on the Henderson saga. Interesting. Certainly uh, not what was expecting, and for a, a fan base that's kind of collectively on the uh, the edge of their seats right now, we don't particularly respond well to uh, to news that we don't think is uh, is coming down the pipe, particularly of the negative kind. So that's uh, something to look for. We'll continue to follow uh, RJ up until signing day and, and see if there's any more kind of, as you referenced, uh, any more any more chapters to be written uh, from this particular book. So uh, we'll transition real quickly here from one thing that may have left a, a little bit of a sour taste in, in Florida State's fans' uh, mouth to, uh, to something that won't, and that is uh, our good friends at For the Table Restaurant Group, uh, people that we've been fortunate to be able to partner with since day one. Uh, they've got a couple great things going on right now. They've uh, They've moved a Taco uh, Taco Tuesday, and, and they're now offering Taco Thursdays as well. You can get a pretty wide variety of tacos at Township for $2. House tacos, uh, you get $2 off Taco of the Month, $2 off the uh, Mahi tacos, and the Shrimp ceviche tacos, which are a personal favorite of mine. So always keep those uh, township in particular in the back of your mind. And then for all three locations, at least the three college town locations, they're going to have a uh, dog specific menus on January the 12th here. So if you're in Tallahassee and you have a favorite animal that maybe you'd like to take down and have a little patio dining, keep uh, those uh, three options in mind as they will all have specific menus and uh, will probably be a a pretty uh, lively little patio patio scene to be had there on the 12th of January. By the way, it looks like, Ingram, that they have now announced that this will be available every day. Here's their tweet. I'm just reading. I've not asked Matt about this. So if you guys go there, not on January 12th, which you should do anyway, and you want to ask for, for dog-specific items, if you come to Central Mad Sower Township with your dog, we are launching a dog menu this Saturday at each spot. It will be available every day. So maybe that's every day this so Maybe weekend? they just launch it on the 12th, and I, I misread okay. that. But uh, we're real fond of making executive decisions for them, so maybe maybe we'll just tell them that uh, we it did sounds like it's going to be Dante offered Lucas every day. Uh, like, like we did Lucas Burger. We asked Matt about that after we already said they would do it, and uh, he said, yeah, uh, there's no doubt. We'll, we'll, have to, uh, we'll have to rename the burger after Dante Lucas if uh, if he becomes a, what, what do we say, All-American? Or all, yeah, all- I think it's All-American. That's, that's the bar. So something I'm... I'll be looking forward to. To get their most famous item named after you. Yeah, I think All-American as opposed to All-Conference status. Some cool things here. Scooby Snack, Pup Patty, Pup Cakes, and a Bag of Bones are awesome. And then also mini turkey corn dogs, peanut butter pretzel cookie, chicken jerky. Very cool stuff. My dog would like that, but my wife already overfeeds the dog like crazy. So, And my dog is mean and very old, so I will definitely not bring him to Mad So. Hopefully she does not listen to this because she thinks the dog is an angel. Akeem Dent, pretty cool story here. So, did you happen to watch the very end of the Under Armour game? Like, maybe the last five minutes or so? I didn't see the final ten minutes or so. No, I didn't. Okay, so, if you missed it, I'll, I'll recap you all. I know some of y'all listen to this. Probably our real, 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 real diehard uh, listeners are continuing to watch the very end of a high school all-star game, which was not that entertaining. But after uh, Henderson had picked Florida, Deion Sanders took Akeem Dent, Travis J. Brendan Gant up on stage. Three elite defensive backs are, are committed to Florida State. And he was talking about how they're, they're the future of Florida State. They're going to bring him back to prominence, blah, blah, blah. It looked like it was kind of like a hurried thing that Dion was doing, getting him up there on stage. And, and at the very beginning of the interview, Dion goes, I wish their parents could be up here or something like that, right? Like, like up, up on stage with them, almost like they had been for all the prior commitments that were going on in the game. And so then there's this sort of awkward moment where, where host Matt Schick asked, you know, okay, you guys are committed. But are, are you signed? Right. And, and none of the three are signed, although we do expect Florida State to, to sweep them all, you know, or at least none of the three were publicly signed at that time. So here's where I, I actually ran into a guy that knows Dent really well. And I, and I asked him, I was like, so what, what the heck? And he goes, oh, look, Dent's plan was actually to announce on TV that he had finished his final class that he needed to be able to enroll early and that his recruiting process was done and that he actually had signed with Florida State on the 20th is what my guy said, but I, I, I got to go back and check that. And and then so Dion was, was going to let him reveal that on TV there and it was going to be big news because Dent is obviously a five-star corner who has great feel for the game, awesome instincts, decent top-end speed and, and pretty good feet and, and, and aggressiveness. So definitely a guy that helps you out a lot 
in the secondary, but Dent wanted to have his mom up there on stage, and and for whatever reason, I don't I don't I don't know if this is because it was more Dion coordinating this, or or I don't know if it was one of those things like maybe I will do it on TV, maybe I won't, blah blah blah. But because my source said that because Dent's mom wasn't up there, he didn't want to announce that he had signed, and so we had this sort of awkward interaction that seemed to be haphazardly thrown together at the end of the game. Obviously, this is totally out of FSU's control. It's not something they they can do. I'm not even sure ESPN knew that Dion was going to, to stop coaching the game for a minute or two since he was a coach for one of the teams and take three players onto the stage and sort of what looked like an impromptu thing. But he did. But that's kind of the backstory of that. So uh, Dent did finish the, those classes. And the most important moral of the story here is that he uh, enrolled early. So he's able to, to participate in spring practice and and perhaps uh, be a, a legitimate contributor this year on the field. So recruiting, man, it, it's uh, it's it's rarely boring. Yeah, no, always uh, always something going on, and kind of second and third layers to uh, to what may be immediately visible. It's an interesting story, and I appreciate you sharing it with our listeners. Uh, like uh, like you said, I very much agree with you. The bigger takeaway there is that uh, you know you've kind of wrapped up the recruitment of, of your highest ranked prospect and a, a guy that, uh, you know, you felt comfortable being able to hold on to, but didn't necessarily want to go, uh, you know, go through the remaining recruiting cycle with Alabama and others trying to, uh, trying to knock at his door. So uh, that's, that's a good thing and a, a, a great thing that kind of Florida State fans can take away. All right. So uh, I had a question here. Do coaches ever take players with high ranking simply to boost the image of their class? Yes. And in fact, some coaches have like bonuses in their contracts that say like if you sign a class rated, you know, the top 15 or the top 50 or or whatever, whatever it might be, whatever is considered a good class for the school that you're at, some of them actually get bonuses. So yeah, sometimes with with those final couple spots, they will take a highly rated kid, even if they know he's not going to qualify, right? Just, just to make their class look better. I was going to say it's also a uh, we talk about leading and lagging indicators. It's it's also a leading indicator that things aren't going well, and that uh, more than not, I would I would be concerned with uh, with the future of the staff once you start doing that. You start doing that because you have uh, potentially you start doing this, and this doesn't necessarily apply to every situation. But a lot of times, you start doing that because you have boosters that don't think you're recruiting well enough, and like to log on to websites and see particular schools. Uh, in the places that they think is is the right uh, place for their institution, and uh, a lot of times you're you're letting you're losing control of your own recruiting process, which is you want the kids that best fit your scenario, your program, uh, and and then when you start leaving that path, not too many good things come from it. So yes, it does happen, and uh, when it does happen, I personally start to get concerned about the longevity of the staff. No doubt. So is Florida State doing this? I I don't think so. Although there's a chance that Henderson is more valuable to whatever class he signs in for image purposes and that, you know, hey, he, he's a, a rated as a top like 150 player than him actually playing on the field. I, I don't know if he's going to qualify. I do know that there were some legitimate uh, concerns about that from schools that he had already committed to. By the way, uh, real quick, I wanted to circle back on this. I had a guy at Bama tell me that if they had not flipped Jordan Battle from Ohio State on signing day, uh, that their backup plan was to flip Nick Cross. I don't know if that's actually true, but that, that's, that was apparently their plan. So Florida State may have dodged a bullet. And also, it just kind of speaks to the ridiculousness of Alabama. They're like, mm-hmm. all right, so hey, here's what happens. Right. If we lose five-star Dax Hill to Michigan on signing day, then our first option is going to be to flip Jordan Battle from Ohio State, who's a fellow four or five star kid. Now, if we don't get him, right, he's a Fort Lauderdale kid, he goes to Aquinas. He's like, if we don't get him, our second back option is gonna be to go go flip Nick Cross. Like, who has options like that? Yeah. Yeah. Your 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 third option at safety is is like a top hundred kid? That's that's ridiculous. Anyway, like we talked about, you know, having a vision for the class and you know, do you take players with real high rankings just to boost the class? We'll talk more in the next episode about all the players coming in on the 25th. That's going to be Florida State's real big visit weekend. And uh, the weekend after that, they'll have one of their junior days. We also have a lot of 2020 offers going out right now. I don't think that's any coincidence after Future 50 and and the Combine happened. 
and uh, the coaches really being in the office this weekend and and working a lot and not uh, not being out there and and drinking beer with me and, and watching the national title game and and uh, shooting the breeze like uh, like a lot of a lot of other staffs were. Willie's got him in there working. Miami's guys were also not there. They're they're working to try and finish their 19 class and get on their 20 class. I'm trying to think who else. I didn't see a lot of NC State guys out there. A couple other schools. I I didn't see many Ohio State guys out there. Come to think of it. So anyway, just interesting the different approaches. Do you go to the convention? Do you not? That's where a lot of interviews take place for for new jobs. By the way, you want to just finish us out with kind of the general uh, college football chatter. We did have a, a pretty big game happen last night or two nights ago. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty big game. Pretty. Uh... You know, I don't know. I don't know if that's a real point of delineation uh, as we go back and look at things five years from now or so, but it certainly has the feel to it that, uh, you know, like like you and I have talked about on this podcast, that nobody, maybe even Alabama, uh, but nobody is going to be beating Clemson many times when they've got that kid at quarterback and appear to have a pretty absurdly talented uh, young wide receiver to pair with him as well. And that's just uh, – Clemson is uh, Clemson's going to keep being Clemson for uh, for the foreseeable future. It certainly looks that way. There's no doubt. I mean, look, we, we've said for a while that Florida State's just – they really have no shot to win the ACC as long as Trevor's there. And that's not new. I mean, if you're listening to the podcast, it's depressing, but it's it's true. You're just not going to beat that kid. It's like it's like when Florida State had Jameis, except he probably better than Jameis was. I went on the radio on Tuesday morning, like I usually do, on, on Fox Sports Southwest Florida – which also uh, simulcast the Nolcast. They were like, hey, we have the clip of you saying that that Trevor was by far the best quarterback prospect you've ever seen. They're like, you got it right. And I was like, look, I, I did, but also at the same time, I did not think he would be good this good this fast, right? Like, I didn't think he'd be a top five quarterback in the nation as a true freshman. And he is. You know, if they could have the draft right now, I think he'd go first overall. Now, he's not eligible for two more years, and he's not ready for the NFL, but teams would, would, would absolutely trample each other to get in line to draft that kid number one, just to be able to secure his rights. You yeah, know, because franchise yeah, quarterbacks would. rarely leave. Let's get him a good employment lawyer and uh, test test this out. I agree, man. I mean, like Maurice Claret tested this, but Maurice Claret was not the best case. Like Trevor Lawrence should should take this thing to the Supreme Court. And would win, ultimately, in my opinion. I'm not a legal scholar, but I, I don't think you'd be able to keep that kid from from the opportunity to work. I've mentioned this before. I mentioned Trevor Lawrence on this podcast when he was either an eighth or ninth grader. It's not because I'm some eye for eye for talent. He was just that freaking good. And like you, I'm not sure that I knew it would transition quite as quickly as it did. But it's he doesn't have he has a very strong arm. He doesn't have like an otherworldly arm, but just has a great understanding of offense or, or that offense anyway. And seems to make real good decisions. Keeps his composure. Is uh, an athletic kid. Is never gonna you know, probably run for 110 yards or something like that, but certainly is not easy to bring down. And he's just a hell of a complete package at the quarterback position. He really is. Let me throw you out a number for Clemson regular season win totals next two years combined. So basically the, the rest of the Trevor era. If I, if I say 22 and a half. Too easy on that one. I'd, I'd take the over. So you think that they're only going to lose zero, one or two games in regular season next two years? Yes. I think I might agree with you. But it's crazy that you'd want to set a number any higher than that. I mean, if you go 23, the only way they can beat is if they go 12-0, 12-0 back-to-back. I don't see anybody in the league who I would pick to beat them. That doesn't mean they won't happen, right? I mean, it's it's much easier to say they'll most likely lose a game than it is to say they'll, they'll most likely lose this specific game. But yeah, Trevor's ridiculous, and uh, he was everything they hoped he would be. They do a great job with their culture up there, and, and that's... Obviously, you know, like we said, Florida State's going to be a little bit longer rebuild now due to this season and the effect it has on its image. It is a little bit easier, though, to go through a rebuild when you realize that, like, you don't feel like you're missing an opportunity right now. Yeah, yeah, there, there is no window. You know? uh, so I, I, I think that Clemson team would beat Florida State's 2013 team. I'm not willing to go quite as far with you there, but... Uh... Well, I don't know. Do, do you get do you get Dexter Lawrence suspended? Well, actually, I don't want to go through that. It, well, it would that's be a actually a good question because he's one of their best players. It would it would be a great matchup, definitely. It was very interesting to me too the the way that Bama was trying to play defense in that game. Right? You know, normally, like, look, Nick Saban is a genius, no doubt. He makes great adjustments. But one of the the ways that Bama just dominates people on defense is that they're able to just play, you know, two high safeties. And still stop the run without overcommitting to the run. 
because they're so physically dominant in their front seven. I mean, this is basically, remember how we, we've pointed out that, oh my God, people are stopping the run against Florida State this year, you know, w- without like dropping any safeties in the box and playing five men boxes against spread looks. Well, Bama normally is actually able to do that a ton in a way that nobody else in college football really can at all. But they're just not as good up front this year. And not a lot of teams are able to expose that. And I thought Clemson was an interesting combination here of being truly elite on the outside, which meant that Bama really felt that it had to keep its its safeties back because of how good Clemson was. It had to protect those young DBs. And, you know, mm-hmm. Bama lost, I think, what, six of their top seven DBs from, from that 20, uh, 2017 team. But yet Clemson routinely ran the ball out of uh, their, their four wide looks on Alabama, and in part because I think Bama was so scared to drop those guys down. And when they did drop them down, the Clemson guys who are total freaks on the outside made some really nice plays, you know, there on, on, on balls that Trevor threw, including, including a couple of balls that Trevor threw that maybe weren't great throws, but he also had some really, really special throws. So that was, that was interesting to see. And I was talking to some coaches there at the convention and, you know, an interesting comparison kind of came up. They, first of all, they don't think Nick, Nick liked this team at all. Like just, just how this team played the style. They, they really think he would prefer to play a very controlled defensive style of football because he's a defensive coach. I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't know that, but that's what other coaches I was, I was watching the game with and you know talking to throughout the week kind of think. And then we, you know, I, said, I made a comparison to Mike Tyson, right? This Bama team would punch people out so quickly, kind of like Tyson would in, in, in his prime. But what happens when, when the knockout punch early in, in the fight didn't land and you actually had to, to actually box? And, and, and you got to taste your own blood a little bit. They didn't react that well. They, they really didn't. I mean, Georgia got up on them in, in, the, in the SC title game. And, and it, you know, Hurts came in once once Tua got hurt. But here against Clemson, it, it was it was not enough, man. They, they were unable to do that. And so Clemson takes them down. If they play 10 times, does Clemson win any of those next 10 by as much as they did in this game? I, I highly doubt it. I don't think Bama's red zone efficiency – is going to be that low in any successive game in this series if they were to play again. I highly doubt that, you know, some of those turnovers happen in the same way and timing that they do. And I bet you Nick Saban calls timeout when he realizes that that is the look that they had for that fake field goal is probably not the one you you want to run it against. Yeah. No, that was it was just a, a weird a weird play call. It was it was too predictable and there really wasn't I didn't see even if if that had had gone uh perfectly well how that kid was going to be able to pick up seven or eight yards there in that situation. It's just a, a strange ask and a strange thing to see at that point in the game. By the way, how much better, like, what does your predicted success rate have to be in addition to your normal predicted success rate of fourth and like five and a half, which is what I think it was, with just leaving two in the game? Like, how much better or how much more likely do you think you are to, to convert with a fake field goal than you are just having Tua Jerry, Judy, Henry Ruggs, Irv Smith, and Devontae Smith running a regular play. Yeah. Dude, you have one of the best quarterbacks so far in college ball history statistically. Three receivers who are no doubt NFL guys, including Judy, who's probably going to be a high NFL pick, and Ruggs, who might be. A really good tight end. One of the best offensive lines in college football. If you think that you're probably, what, 40% likely to convert there by going for it. What do you really think you're you're getting out of that fake field goal? Like a 45% expectancy? 50? You think that you think that's going to work more often than not? Are, like are you are you thinking that's going to be like in the 60% success rate range? Like what how? It was it was a uh, bizarre in kind of its predictability and the fact that you knew Bama was probably going to have to try something to either take a possession back whether it be an onside kick or uh, extend a possession that otherwise wasn't going to be so. And then if you go back and look at the play, it doesn't look like the three middle men in the line of scrimmage there are cognizant that they're actually run blocking. I, I'm not sure that everybody was on the the same page. And it was just a, you know, it was obviously not the the same exact thing, but it almost felt like uh, like the fake the fake uh, punt with Justin Fields in the in the championship game where it was forced. And it was just too too predictable in a situation like that. Very very odd to me that that one was. I I, I just I didn't get it, man. I'm like eh, I don't know. This is kind of 
kind of not uh, not a good look here. But that's what they decided to go with. You know, Nick Saban's a lot smarter than me at college football. But uh, even the best ones, I guess, make some mistakes, man. That was that was interesting. So, uh, would you have Clemson number one next year, or would you have uh, this Bama team? Uh, I would have Clemson number one. I would I would have Clemson number one with all the pieces that they return, and until somebody beats them, they're they're for me the number one team in the country. I thought about this a lot on, on the flight last night. I might have Bama just because all they return on defense, and I I think they'll be. They'll be they'll be able to get more stops for next year, and I also do want to see. Like I know Clemson has recruited extremely well, but I do want to see how much of a step back they take on the lines of scrimmage, if any. You know, they are losing Wilkins and Farrell and Lawrence and Bryant and all those guys, and I know they didn't have Lawrence in this game. And I think Huggins, the guy they replaced him with, was probably a senior, right? I mean, he's been he's been there for a long, long time, uh, just from recalling his recruiting. That'll that'll be interesting. I'm, I'm I'm very excited to watch that and see see how that plays out. I, I think we kind of have a a real sort of consensus top four likely building if if Fields is eligible at, at Ohio State, like I, I would expect him to be, given the the racial slurs uh, that that went on at Georgia. Of in some order, Clemson, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State for for next year. Yeah, complete agreement. If I give you those four. Would you rather have those four for the title or the field? Those four. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. 100%. I'd rather have the first two than the field, actually. Ooh. Okay, so that's interesting. I want to run the numbers on that. We, we, may, we may revisit that in, in the next show. Something we also encourage you to visit here is Resolution Home Loans. Resolution Home Loans is a great home loan operation. Noel-owned business. Chad and Shannon want to take care of you. We've already had, I think we're up to 11 now. 11 home loans done by resolution for Nolcast listeners and also a couple more done through realtors who'd listen to Nolcast loans. They're like, hey, you want to get a home loan? They recommend them to their buyers. It's great. A lot of buyers, especially first-time buyers, have never had to get a home loan. They don't know how to go through the process. I'm actually going through the process right now with Shannon. He's walking me through it. We're making sure, you know, just take care of all the steps and we're ready. You know, he's he's available at seemingly all hours. Just a, a great customer service experience. And we've heard nothing but good things about these guys. And we partner with them. We're like, hey, do we want to take a home loan operation as a sponsor to the show? They sold me on it with their customer service back in our initial sales pitch over a year ago. Loved it. Our listeners love it. I like it right now. I'm going through it with them. So, guys, check them out. 844-FSU-LOAN. It's 844-FSU-LOAN. Or visit fsuhomeloans.com. Yeah, do check them out. I don't mean to prolong uh, the ad read here, but we did have real concerns. Uh, they're great people. And when Bud talks about working with Shannon and Chad, I'm not trying to put your business out there, Chad or uh, Bud. He absolutely is. We're not receiving any extra compensation or anything else like that. It was not part of the, the deal. My uh, partner here has found himself in a place in life where he's looking to possibly uh, change his, his housing situation. And uh, for, for no other reasons... Other than the fact that we have great partners, he's uh, on his own independently choose to, choosing to work with the sponsors that we have. So no greater evidence of, uh, of our own belief in the people that we work with other than that. No doubt, man. So, guys, uh, with that, five stars on iTunes. Uh, very much appreciate you all doing this. And we'll be back to a more frequent and more regular recording schedule now that uh, kind of my two-week craziness voyage away from home is wrapped up. So take care, and we'll join you again shortly.